Welcome back. I'm Kim Bailey. She's Fuliana Osborne. And today we're continuing our discussion with David Skillen about organisational culture. In your experience across the board, are there elements of a culture that fit regardless or that, sh that should be considered regardless of where you are and what you're doing? Whether it's culturally because of country or whether it's culturally because of the organisation? Yeah, I, I look, I think that these may be the value. I think that there has to be trust. In this case, it's a banking situation and, and the whole banking system relies on trust, trust between banks even, right, mm -hmm. and trust between people about where their money goes and about the loans they get. So trust is a key point, I think, as a first response to that answer, Kim. I think also there's got to be a willingness uh, on the part of all the parties there to work together. It'll stick out so easily if somebody is wanting to do something different. And the good thing, the best thing would be that it's the community that continues to operate in a way that shows that person as being divergent. And they might self-choose to self-select, to, to wander off into something different there. So trust, working together. Now these are the attitudinal mm -hmm. things, I think, which underpin a good culture and things which are essential for success. We've probably covered fairly nicely the idea of a culture being good in an organisation. Let's now tackle changing culture. Mm -hmm. We have an organisation, we come to an organisation, whether it's individually or you come in at the top, and you recognise fairly quickly that the culture is not right or it's a whole hodgepodge of many cultures. Where do you start? Uh, um, <laughs> you might question whether you got the right job. <laughs> But look, I think challenges yes. like that are those which a leader loves because there is no roadmap. You can't do your masters in it, and you can't find the book that fits exactly there. So I would think that first thing to do is to understand what you have, what the different cultures are, who the leaders are in those groups. You'll mm -hmm. want to have points that you plug into and get good information from. What the issues, the downsides, the problems are as well, the things that we need to fix. And then hopefully there'll be a piece of process around building and defining the position that you want to get to. It's the goal story, it's the yeah. objectives, it's the strategy part again all over. And if that can be defined, then the gap is what we need to address. You know, How do we get from where we are today to where we want to be is really the job of the leader in, in that situation. And they have a range of different tools and processes available to them then to close that gap. And in the first instance, I think... One of the difficulties that new leaders have is that when they figure out what that gap is, you automatically assume that the readiness level and the willingness levels of all the other people are the same as you are. You're at the point of discovery, you're on the high, adrenaline's running, <laughs> you want to get up there and tell people, and you do, and you've got the communications channels to be able to do it. But have you got the feedback channels? Communication is the responsibility of the sender. It's not the person that's supposed to just listen there. You have to have the circumstances, the message, and the feedback mechanism you know, to make that work. I think that you've got to be able to make sure that you're going to get the feedback when you launch your strategy there. And not, and not the feedback that says, oh, yes, we've tried all that before. It never worked before. <laughs> Don't be looking for yeah. how you behave. Yes. You know, do you listen? Yes. Do you understand? And almost the leader has to find at least a few things, but hopefully they're valuable things, mm. to change. Because you've got to demonstrate that you heard, mm. you responded, mm. and you've got a better product now to go to market with, right? Yep. Mm. 
And I think the ones that come in the glossy folder, signed off by the board, with big chairman's signature and gold mm -hmm. leaf, indicates it's set and forget. You know, we did it, you executed. Yes. Mm -hmm. But something which is a lot more live, dynamic. something which is yeah. dynamic, exactly, mm -hmm. that is a lot more valuable because the people then feel there's input. If they later run into challenges, they feel yeah. that there's an opportunity of adjustment. Yeah. They know the leader will listen if they've demonstrated that before. They'll and take it, the information back well, earlier. It goes back to you saying about it, it creates this feeling of trust. Yeah. They trust that you will listen to them. They trust that what is being asked of them is appropriate and can be implemented and will be reviewed. So, mm. Which will, that leads to them owning it and then living it, which mm. is really what you want. Yeah. And not just say, I'm doing it because they said so, I pretend I'm executing it, yeah. but not. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, whilst we're having a discussion here about people and not mm. machines, and whilst we're yeah. discussing things which are often called the soft things in mm. organisation, I think we have to have a very strong cognizance mm. that the newer employees, yeah. the younger folk, they are utilising things which are very hard to help them define these soft things. They use devices. Yes. They use technologies. They use learnings which come in electronic forms. Yeah. That's what I mean by hard, not soft there. And so you've got to find the way to engage with them there. So it's not always that face-to-face -face is going to work as well as it did in the past. It's not always that you can wander around the floor and chat to everybody at their workstation get a feel because that's not how they used to communicate no. here. And if it's the responsibility of the sender with communication, then you have to figure out how these guys want to speak with you. So opening a blog up, being part of their own chat sessions when it's appropriate in that way, using collaboration tools. These are the ways that cooperation is engendered these days, as well as the other softer skills around speaking with people when you meet them in the corridor. But we have to leave room for that because they are the things that they love, that they use. And we're the ones who have to find the way to engage with that. That is their generational culture. It's a yes. generational culture, yeah. Yes. And this is really good because actually the opportunities now through technology, like when we talked about the 13 countries, for example, mm -hmm. if there is a blog and people are listening to what happened in, in say, Hong Kong mm -hmm. and they can see the interaction and what people are asking, that's an opportunity that was less available if you communicated without technology. So I'll look on the blog and I'll see what people are saying, the collaboration, and I'll be able to say, oh, I think so too. I know that I can relate to that. And so before you know it, it's across all of your organisation and not just a particular country, which is fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The discoveries around this are interesting to me too because whilst we have a conversation about the hard end of technology being engaged mm. here with the softer skills that are required... Some of this isn't that new. Mm -hmm. I saw a quote recently from Benjamin Franklin, right. and he hasn't been around for a very long time <laughs> <No>. <laughs> before there was electricity utilised as it is. Yeah. And this is what he said. He said, there is a good reason why collaboration builds future leaders and competent operators fast. Tell me and I forget. Teach me and I may remember. Involve me and I learn. Yeah. And yeah. so it's the involvement 
and that interaction yes. which leaves the sustainable value with each mm. of us there. Yeah. In looking at the introduction of technology and the cultures that might be existing in organisations already, our generation has mm. gone from cultures where it was all people-based to a change where the culture had to embrace technology and I think that that will continue on probably exponentially from this point. And there, I believe, will be a time in the future where we see a robot workforce, for want of a better, or artificial intelligence in, in our workforces, for want of a, a better way of, of describing it. How hard is it to engender a, a culture in an organisation where the people part of it is smaller than the technology side of it. Where the people part is smaller than the technology part, yeah. I mean, it sounds scary, doesn't it? Right. But, you know, such examples exist today, Kim, in a call centre where where these are clients and customers trying to find out information of the essence there. And it was assumed that the operator or the agent had the information or knew the information and could give the answer back. And yet today, we've been through the era of uh, voice response systems where people push buttons and get pretty bad responses back. And I think there are services and products that's inappropriate for, and people want to speak with a live operator. When they get to that live operator, the operator today is less in charge of the information that's going to go to the person than they used to be there. Yeah. And it's called CPA or robotics and, informa- uh, robotics and automation that's at work. So based on some key words in the conversation that the customer or client has used and that the system hears, or based on some indicator points that the telephone agent chooses to point out as the conversation goes along, then the computer comes back and suggests some places that the agent may look for information or some responses they may make or some offers they may make if they want to convert a service call to a sales call there. So there are cases already where the decision-making is actually moving from the person to the machine, where the information is coming from the machine and not the person, where the person becomes the channel that sits between. Now, there's a conversation with the customer, of course, and only the person can conduct that in in an appropriate way. But the deployment of big data to pull information together and just choose the elements that are relevant for this conversation, the choice-making, the statistical probabilities which are run to give a response with a high propensity of being received well by the customer is calculated mm-hmm. and often they will show that number on the screen with the agent. So the agent might see this response has got a 73% propensity to be well received, this response only 11%. But the agent may have heard something in there which yeah. tells them this is not going to work well, I need to go to the secondary response, yeah. they mm-hmm. make a choice. But already today, decision making, information presentation is largely handled in many cases by the machine. A scary thought, you know, yeah. George Orwell 1984 type stuff. But um, but that's in practice today with many large corporations. So the culture in that organisation then, it, how do you engender a culture that gives the human element some sense of worth in the organisation? Yeah. When question. something else is doing the things that they would normally have thought that would be part of their job. Their yeah, I think that, you know, look, if I was the, the telephone agent, what I'd be wanting to do is understand that this system, is actually making me more efficient. Mm -hmm. It's getting accuracy of the data. 
It's pulling together pieces of data which I just couldn't have handled myself. There's millions of them. It's working out a likely best outcome for me, but I can adjust that. I mean, I'm the control point at the end of the day as to which offer I choose to make, which response I choose to use. You can still see yourself as the person that makes the, the final judgment. I think that's how I'd want to operate if I was one of those folk. Mm-hmm. I've still got control of the judgment. This machine is working to make me more efficient. I think that rather than being scary, my own experience has shown me in the manufacturing sector that if you have a group of people who used to work the machine on a process line and that machine now has been made intelligent enough that they don't need an operator, but they still need someone to train the machine. So what we've got now is, is move these people from a process job where they had to have a bell ring every 20 minutes to keep them awake to a job where they are training a machine. It has changed the culture so much without us having to do any more work with these people because they themselves see that they are part of a technological change and a new age, is something, they're on the leading edge of this form of manufacturing and they're really involved because it's their expertise in running this machine for X number of years that is now teaching the machine what to do. So it's been a, a, a really positive change in culture without us having to think too much about the repercussions of actually moving them off the, the process line. It's been good. <laughs> it's also the customer needs and what the, the way they want to receive the information has changed a lot. People in an organisation can use that to, again, reprogram the machines to better meet the customer demands. Mm. For example, if you go to book a trip, a lot of people really don't want to talk to someone. They can go online and they can find all the information they want to make their decision. But that way, the speed, the timeliness, the sort of information differs from one individual to another and therefore collecting that data and coming up with a solution to meet my needs as well as yours as well as yours becomes a very thinking exercise that needs to be put into the machine again. David, have you ever gone into an organisation where you thought the culture's just right? I don't need to do anything? Uh, Short answer, no. But I've gone into organisations that have definitely had better cultures than I've had before Mm -hmm. and I've thought this is a lucky thing to be here. Because yep. you start to learn. And how quickly do you, did you get that sense of culture? Actually, very quickly. Yeah. I think that if you've worked in a few organisations and you like working with people, those two things will very quickly let you see what happens mm-hmm. quickly. Now, there are kind of little indicators that you see about what people say, how they behave, that set your mind running about what's behind it. Now, you make assumptions. You need to verify them with mm-hmm. fact but they tend to be the leads that, that take you to the right place there. You know, I walked into a new role once in Sydney. It was with American Express, and they had decided already that they were going to take the back offices and much of the front office and many of their countries that they had in Asia-Pacific and build a very large back office processing place in Sydney. It was the strength or rather the weakness of the Australian dollar at that time that led it because quite frankly Australia had a higher cost of living than, than the countries that, that many of the countries that it was coming from but the dollar was weaker against some of those currencies. When I walked in there I was used to a culture where I was one of the five or six seniors that sat on a different floor that had wood panelled offices but they were modern that had the better PCs on our desk at that stage that each had a, our own assistant in the front 
that had the better carpet on the floor and had the board room available just down the hall. We also got better coffee and biscuits. And <laughs> Very you know, important. Quite frankly, yes. And quite frankly, you know, I'm reflecting now how true that is, right? And we didn't think about it at the time. But I walked out of that organisation, which I had enjoyed, and in that organisation, all the people on that floor at least those who were male, and to think of it, they were all male in all the offices. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and this was in the very early 90s, and they were all in suits. They all had ties, and I guess we all had a Ferragamo tie. When I got to American Express, that wasn't the case. In fact, it was casual dress. That was the, one of the most difficult things that I had to put on casual clothes and go to casual work. Way. It was difficult, but was more difficult only in my mind when I got there. Because whilst I did have a bigger space to sit in and a glass office, one, everything was glass. There was a good reason for this, right? It gave the privacy audibly, but it gave the openness of the whole floor. Mm. I loved that eventually. Mm -hmm. Two, the folks chose their own dress on the floor. And whilst there were things around cleanliness and things around raggedness that, that in one case was hoped for and the other case denied, nevertheless they had similar clothing on. A team person would have a pair of jeans most probably if they were a male and probably a female too and so would the team leader so would the supervisor the manager and eventually so would I there so the question was how did they know who I was mm, yeah, yeah. because I was defined in the other role as having a coat mm. a white shirt you and were a Ferragamo tie yes. as having a dress on that floor yes and I went to the other floors they didn't have the coat I went to other floors, they didn't necessarily have their tie on. I went to get other floors, you know. They were working in smaller spaces, etc., etc. So, what, how would I be the leader? What, what would happen? Yeah. Things happened around me for good. I walked in and people helped me. I wanted to find things out, they told me the answer. Yay. I walked onto a floor that I didn't know well, and somebody stepped forward and helped me to find the right place on the floor there. Yeah. I wanted a conference room and there were people there having a conversation, probably for good value, but they were emptied out and I walked in, you know. So, you know, how would they know this? Well, they didn't if they looked at me. Mm -hmm. And it was about how I behaved. Mm -hmm. That was what was important. I was defined eventually for leadership, whether it was good or whether it was bad, by the people that worked with me in how I behaved with them there. Mm -hmm. And over time, I got the same benefit in terms of how they'd help, how they'd support, what they'd do when yeah. I walked on the floor. And it wasn't about my dress, right? Now, that wasn't something that was obvious to me from day one. In fact, it was a challenge from day one. But I valued that where I went from mm -hmm. there on in. It was inappropriate in some other places, but other, in other places later, I was able to introduce the same thing. I loved it. Mm -hmm. I absolutely loved that fact you would automatically get better discussion, feedback, and interaction um, across the levels and between the different mm -hmm. levels horizontally than you would otherwise get. They, mm -hmm. they realised that there was a demonstration of their worth that was the same as you. You were yeah. one human being. The question was what you brought to the table and how you behaved. Mm -hmm. And that culture, was that promoted or known outside the organisation that led to people wanting to join you? Eventually, yes, yes. absolutely. Mm -hmm. And there's quite a funny story with that, you know, mm -hmm. because the chairman of American Express Globally at the time was a gentleman by the name of Harvey Gollum. Mm -hmm. And a very senior person in New York who reported to him told me once, he said, now this can be very challenging. In summertime, Harvey mm -hmm. just wears some very light white shorts to work. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, 
he's car parked in the basement of a building that no longer exists after 9-11. And the lift, the elevator, had bright lights at the back. So when <laughs> this gentleman who caught the subway to walk, work, walked into the elevator and Harvey was on the way up the lights at the back, there were two very thin legs uh, visible there. So, you know, that's just a little demonstration of, of how the culture can be. Yeah, yes. Exactly. On that note of appropriateness, David and Fuliana, we might hold our discussions for today. Please join us for part three of this discussion with David Skillen about organisational culture. I'm Kim Bailey, she's Fuliana Osborne, and this is Inside Exec. <laughs>